welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. So when I was a kid, uh, I was probably around second grade or so, um, I became a little doubtful in my faith. God, I, I gave my life to God at five years old, the end of a Christian sing-along tape, and grew up going to church, and my mom and dad, my parents are here today, which is so fun to have them. Uh, grew up in a wonderful Christian home, um, but for some reason, whatever reason, I, I was a kind of stressed out little kid, and in second grade, I was like, is this really real? I don't know. And so uh, I was actually at the bus stop waiting for the bus to come, and you have to understand where we lived at this time, there was hardly ever any deer, Okay. This is going to take a stretch of your imagination, okay, to imagine a place where there's hardly any deer. But where we grew up, there was hardly ever any deer. And so I'm waiting at the bus stop, and all of a sudden, I see a deer. Like, I look up on the hillside, and there's a deer. I'm like, oh my goodness, I never see deer. This is amazing. And for me, it was a very special thing. Again, stretch your imagination. Very special thing to see a deer as a kid. Um, It's like, wow, there's a deer. And in that moment, I was like, God... If you're real, would you let there be another deer? Before I finished articulating that thought, two baby deer stepped out from behind the mama deer. And for me, as like a little kid, I was like, oh my goodness, you're real, because you sent me deer, God. Like, <laughs> I know. And um, it's a little ridiculous. Again, I'm not recommending you pray this way. Uh, there's some Bible stories actually about that. I think I was young enough not to know better, and God graciously responded to that prayer. And I bring that up because for me, deer can be a reminder of that, even still today, even though I see them every single day. Sometimes when I see a deer, I'm like, God answers prayer. God is there. He loves us. Uh, there's even a Bible story where uh, someone's praying in the story, and it, it mentions that um, before they even finish speaking in their mind, God answered them. And whenever I read that story, I'm like, God did that for me with the deer, making the, the kid deer. And here's the thing. Uh, everyday things can become powerful reminders of profound truths about God. Again, for me, deer has become a profound reminder of an amazing truth about God, that he answers prayer, and he loves us, and he cares for me. Now, think about how God does this for us, too, with other things. You know, Jesus was always taking everyday things that people encountered in their everyday life in the ancient world and using them to connect to amazing truths about his heavenly Father, about God's kingdom. People were stressed out and worried not like today. No one's stressed out and worried today. No, people were stressed out and worried. Like, what? where are we going to get our next meal? We don't know. And so what did Jesus talk about? Birds. And flowers. And he used those things to teach the truth that God cares for you and he will provide. People are like, what is this thing called the kingdom of God and how is it going to grow? And he's like, let me tell you about mustard seeds. And let's talk about yeast and bread. He was always taking everyday things and using them to teach 
profound truths about God. And so in this series, this is a brand new series we're starting today, this Sunday, God of All Things. Um, We're trying to take a cue from Jesus. And we're going to talk about some everyday things that all of us encounter in everyday life and trace those things through the biblical story. But the ultimate hope is not just to have a better understanding of how these things relate to the Bible. The hope is that next time you encounter, you know, a river or a pig or maybe more likely a piece of bacon or salt or rain, that instead of just thinking like, oh, it's raining, you'd also think of one of these truths about God and his care or his kingdom. And so that's what this series is about. It's inspired by a book written by Andrew Wilson called God of All Things. And so if you're looking for a good book read, it's really good. He has, it's almost devotional style where it's two or three pages on, you know, chapter after chapter of these different things um, that, that can point to truths about God. So if you're looking for a book this summer, I, I highly recommend it. But today, as we get started, we're going to be talking about the night sky, what you see when you look up at night, the night sky. Uh, for me, this is also personal because, as I've shared before, when I was growing up, I really wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, when I was a little kid, I like, loved space. I loved seeing shooting stars at night. Uh, I remember checking out a book from the library about space and learning about black holes. And I was like, what is this? Like, this is crazy. And nebula and stars. And for me, this was the first time I was taught and understood that when you look up, all those bright lights are not just stars. And this is a picture from the uh, Hubble telescope. And I don't know if you can see it where you're sitting, uh, but this is a zoomed-in picture of what to us would probably just look like a dark spot. But when you leave the shutter open long enough, it allows more light to come in. And so when you look up at the night sky, you're not just seeing a bunch of stars. You're actually seeing stars and galaxies. And every one of those galaxies, like our own Milky Way galaxy, has thousands usually millions of stars in every single one of those galaxies. And for me, as I read these books and understood this, I just kept being filled with wonder. And the the vastness of space in our universe, I was like, wow, God, you are so powerful. And you are so big. And like, I am so small. (laughs) And in fact, this is a very biblical response. Here's what the psalmist writes, and this is our main text of the day. Psalm 8. I love what the psalmist writes. He says, when I observe your heavens, what I see when I look up, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place. When I look at these things, I ask myself, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. Some translations translate that last verse and say, uh, what is man that you are mindful of him? And so today, I want want us to take this expression of the psalmist and make it more personal. My hope is that when you look up at the night sky next time, or maybe you even already do this, the thing that comes to your mind is not just, wow, that's a beautiful sky, but that you look up and be, who am I that you are mindful of me? God, you are so powerful. You are so great. You are so vast. Who am I that you are mindful of me? In fact, this is uh, actually uh, what the book of Job uses the night sky to point to. 
If you look at the book of Job, it's a really fascinating book. It's a little difficult to read. We actually think it's the oldest book of the Bible. It was written earlier than like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, even though those books record things that happened earlier. And the book of Job is fascinating. Job basically feels like God is treating him unfairly and being unjust towards him. And the most amazing thing is that at the end of the book of Job, God himself shows up in a whirlwind and answers Job. Actually, that's not true. He doesn't really answer Job. He asks Job a bunch of questions. And he's basically like, Job, who do you think you are? <laughs> to question me. Doesn't seem very kind, but it is true. Here's some of the questions God asks Job. He says, Job, <clears throat> where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Hey, Job, who fixed its dimensions? Who decided to make it as big as it is? Do you even know how big it is, Job? Certainly you know, wise Job, who can call me to account, apparently. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstones? And then I love this. While the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God, talking about the angels, shouted for joy. Were you there when all started? Were you there at creation, Job? No. And there's a sense that when God's trying to impress on us humans, and this is an important point, the sky and how great space is is not supposed to make us feel less than, but it is supposed to make us feel small. You guys see there's, there's a difference between um, being belittled right, and having the right perspective and realizing how small you are. And what God is trying to do with Job is to give him the right perspective. Job, you are mortal, not immortal, a mortal, and you are very limited in power. I created this whole thing. Look up. I created all of that. Job, you can't even begin to imagine why I do all the things I do and how this universe works that I run. And so the psalmist says, who am I that you are mindful of me when they look up at the sky? And God uses the sky and the stars to say, Job, you know, who are you to call me to account? Let's have some perspective here. And so the truth is people, and I think this is true of people in general, but all through the Bible too, have always felt small when we look up at the night sky. And as we have grown scientifically and our telescopes have improved, the more we learn just pounds that in further and further. And so kids, uh, I want your help today because I, I want to talk about how small we are, okay? So can kids, you come up here and help me out for a minute? You can I mean, come up on this side, kids. There's a little more space on this side. All right. How are you guys doing today? I have a, I'm going to give you something in a minute too. All right. Uh, anyone know what this is? You see? It's a golf ball. Right. Okay. Um, so pause first. Uh, how many of you think you are big. You can be honest. Big? Yeah, a little big, yeah. How many of you think your parents are big? Like they're way bigger than me. Yeah? Yeah. Anyone know someone like really tall, like they look like a giant. They're so big. <laughs> Thanks, Salish. God. Oh, yes. God is really big. You're right. Holly? Um, Daniel. 
Daniel, yes, your brother Daniel is very tall, you're right. So what I want to talk about is when I was a kid, I was like, oh man, someday I'm going to be as big as this person, and then I'm going to be big. And yet the Bible teaches that even the tallest grown-up you know, all of us, are pretty small compared to God. Uh, I want to talk about how small we are. So first of all, imagine for a second that the entire earth was as big as this golf ball. Okay? I know that's hard to do, but pretend this whole planet was only this big. This is how small we are. Can you find yourself on here? Do you see me? No, you couldn't even see it. It's so small. So if our planet was this big, our sun that gives us the light that's shining right now, our sun would be as big across as 15 feet. 15 feet is about from one side of that monitor to this side. Maybe actually a little bigger than that. That's 15 feet. That's how big our sun is. See how small our Earth is compared to our sun? Uh, if, if this is the size of the Earth, it would take as many golf balls as it would take to fill up our entire bus. That's how big the sun is compared to the Earth. Isn't that crazy? Now here's the craziest thing. With telescopes, we begin to see uh, how big other stars are in our solar system. And so, do you guys know constellations? Anyone recognize that one? Do you know what that one is? Orion. Do you see Orion? That's my favorite constellation because it's so recognizable. And it's kind of this warrior guy. And those three stars in the middle, that's Orion's belt. Now, see that really bright yellow star in the top left? It's either, uh, depending on how you view it, it's either his shoulder or the bottom of his club that he's using, okay? That star, his name is Betelgeuse. Can you say Betelgeuse? Betelgeuse is a very large star. It's a, it's a sun like ours. Betelgeuse is twice as big as, what do you think I'm going to say? Good guess. Twice as big as our sun? No, it's actually twice as big as the Earth's orbit around our sun. That's how big that star is. Betelgeuse is so big that if the Earth was a golf ball and you're trying to see how big a cross is it, like our sun's 15 feet, it would be like six Empire State Buildings stacked on top of each other. That's how big it is. And if you tried to do enough golf balls to fit inside that huge star, you would fill the entire Bronco Stadium with golf balls all the way up 3,000 times. <laughs> That's how big that star is. Isn't that crazy? And here's the craziest part. That's not even the biggest star in our galaxy. Um, Canis Major is one of the biggest. It, it used to be the biggest five years ago, and then they found the one that's even a little bigger. Um, but this is uh, Canis Major, part of this dog constellation. You guys see the dog kind of outlined there for you? And that one circle, that's Canis Major, and it's a very, very large star. It's almost um, the largest star. If the Earth were the size of a golf ball, the diameter of that star would be the height of Mount Everest, the tallest mountain on Earth. And if the Earth was the size of a golf ball and you were trying to get enough golf balls to fill up that whole space of that star, you would have enough golf balls to cover the entire state of Texas 22 inches deep. <laughs> have you guys ever driven through Texas? It takes days. It's huge, right? <laughs> Imagine all of that land covered 22 inches deep in golf balls. And here's the craziest part of all is that these stars I'm talking about are just some of the big stars in our own 
galaxy. Our galaxy looks something like this. It's a whirlpool galaxy. Isn't that cool? Like a spiral. Our galaxy looks something like this. And so when you look up, anytime you see a star, those are stars inside our galaxy. But sometimes those bright lights are actually galaxies just like this. And every galaxy just like this has tons more stars, like our sun, and like Betelgeuse, and like Canis Major. And for me, when I learn that, and every time I think about that, I think, wow, I am small. God, you are huge, and you are powerful. where our solar system is. So this is actually not a map of our own galaxy because we can't get outside of our own galaxy to take a picture of it. But from all our measurements, we know our galaxy looks something like this. And we're about um, two-thirds of the way out between two of those spirals. We're about halfway out between two spiral arms. And so I want to give you guys a golf ball today. You guys can take this home. Um, and the coloring pages, too, by the way, it has uh, the constellation Orion. So you can see an even color, that Betelgeuse star we learned about. And anytime you're feeling like, I am someone important, you are someone important because God loves you, but we are all so small, aren't we? All right, here you guys go, and then you can head back to your seats. Thank you for your help today in helping us realize how small we all are. By the way, credit goes to uh, Louis Giglio, who does the Passion Conferences for these measurements about the golf ball compared to our sun. And again... Once you realize how small we are, I mean, isn't that amazing? We are so small. <laughs> we are so small. And God is so great. And our response again should be, who am I that you are mindful of me? And what I love about this is people, people or ancient people living in the ancient world looked up and had that sense. Who am I that you are mindful of me? And what I love about science is it's just like, drive that point home even further. The more we know, the more humbled I am. Now, this is more for the grown-ups. So kids, I give you permission. Uh, you can kind of color or look at your golf ball for a minute. Uh, I might lose you in this next section. Um, for us grown-ups, uh, I have been, you know, as a pastor, I'm always looking for how faith and science come together and intersections between these two. And I'm always looking for bridges to truths about God that kind of everyone can agree on. Um, the technical name is apologetics, is, is the art of defending the Christian faith and showing how it's actually very rational and makes sense to believe in a creator God and that Jesus really was who he said he was. And so what I want to share with you is something called the cosmological argument. Are any of you familiar with it? Now, the foundation of this goes back to Genesis. And this has to be one of the biggest understatements of the Bible, by the way. God made the two great lights, the greater light, talking about the sun, to rule over the day, and the lesser light, the moon, to rule over the night, as well as the stars. He also did that. All the stars in the galaxy, all the stars in all the other galaxies. Yeah, he also made those. Just throwing that out there. Now, as uh, astronomy has worked and more evidence has been gathered, uh, let me do something for you. Wow, I'm having trouble today. There we go. All right. Imagine that this is the universe that we can see. And 
you know, right here is a galaxy, cool whirlpool galaxy, and here's a big star, and here's a little star, and here's another galaxy. All right, imagine this is a universe, and we're somewhere in here, and we're directing our gaze outward to the rest of the galaxy and the rest of the universe as much as we can see. And what astronomy has now proven conclusively is that we see evidence for this happening. Did you see it happening? <laughs> as we've done different kind of measurements, different radiology, we see that the universe is slowly expanding. That each galaxy and each star are slowly spreading apart from one another. This whole thing's slowly getting bigger. All right, you follow me? Now, what does that mean? Uh, if you do some math, and there is disagreement about Bible-believing Christians about how to do this math, I'll throw that out there. But everyone agrees that one way or another, you can do the math, and you can work backwards in time, and calculate that if this is going like this right now, and if this has been happening, then in the past, if you go backwards and run the clock backwards, it goes like this, right? That everything that is at a certain point in the past began to exist in one spot. And that all the matter of the entire universe came into being in actually a single moment of time and exploded outwards from there. The scientific name for this is the Big Bang. Now, what the Big Bang does is I think it's very actually conclusive evidence for a creator God. It's called the cosmological argument for the existence of God. And here's the two premises and the conclusion. Premise one, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Did this golf ball begin to exist at a certain point in time? Yes, yes, nod your head. Thank you. All right, yes, good. Uh, therefore, it has a cause, right? If things just didn't have causes, we would just expect to see in the world things popping into existence all the time. We don't ever see that. We always see cause and effect in the world, right? Which is why we can do things like science, which is why gravity is consistent for all of us. We have consistent cause and effect. So everything that begins to exist has a cause. Second premise is that the universe began to exist. And that's what is showed by the evidence for the Big Bang that there was a point in time when the universe began to exist. And before that point, the universe didn't exist. And what all this means is if both premises are true, then the conclusion naturally follows. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Now, I think at this point, some of you are like, this seems very elementary. Everything that begins to exist has a cause? Yeah. The universe began to exist? Yes. But like it or not, that third conclusion is... Uh, that the conclusion is contested. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Why is this contested? Because if the universe has a cause, and the universe began to exist at a certain point of time, and if you could go back a second before that time, there was no matter. There was no nature. There was no scientific laws that govern nature because there was no nature yet. You see what I'm getting at? If you go back an instant before the Big Bang occurred, all of a sudden you have nothing exploding into everything. And how do you explain that happening? 
what caused that? Who caused that? And I suggest that this is a very powerful evidence for the creator God. I love this quote I came across from a scholar named uh, J.P. Moreland. He wrote this. He says, In all cases of scientific explanation, you already have to have a universe in existence before scientific explanation, initial condition, laws of nature, and so forth have something to which they can apply. You have to have a nature there to study laws of nature. Scientific explanations presuppose the universe in order for those explanations to be employed in the first place. Thus, a scientific explanation cannot be used to explain the very thing, the universe, that must exist before scientific explanation can get off the ground. What he's saying is very profound. There cannot be a scientific explanation for the creation of the universe because that goes beyond the realm of science. The realm of science explains nature and how nature works. And before there was nature, you don't have a realm for science to consider. So one more time. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. And so when I look up at the stars at night and I think, God, who am I that you are mindful of me? I also think it's so amazing that you put in our sky there for us, for us to observe and figure out evidence for your hand in all of this. There's evidence for a creator even when you look up at night. Who am I that you are mindful of me? And so when God made a promise to a man named Abraham, something like 3,500 years ago, and he was going to begin to rescue the world through this man and his son and his kids' kids. Do you remember what he told him? He said, Abraham, go outside and look up. Your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. And what was the point for Abraham? Wow. I can't even count the stars, right? There's no way. There's so many of them. You're going to give me that many descendants? God said, yes. And I'm going to bless your family. And then through your family, I'm going to bring blessings to the entire world. And eventually, one of those descendants, one of those stars, was born in Bethlehem of Judea 2,000 years ago. And how did God highlight the birth of that son, 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 son of Abraham? With a star in the east. And that star in the east, in the sky, was there for all to see. And Magi even came from the east because they were looking up at the sky and they saw something they couldn't explain. And God was using it to point to his son. Evidence for the creator when we look up. Evidence of how small all of us are. And so I hope next time you look up, your response will not just be, wow, that is a beautiful sky, but you would say, wow, who am I that you are mindful of me? Because as small as we are, every single person the Bible teaches is someone for whom Christ came. As small as we are, every single person, Psalm 139 says, that God knew you while you were growing inside your mom's belly. Who are you? Who am I that you are mindful of me? 
So I'm going to invite our worship team back up, and we're going to respond in worship of this God who's so great and so vast. And um, there's a special motion background going on in the background of this song. So um, Jody, if you would, can you put this one on full screen when we sing this in a moment? And these are all pictures taken by the Hubble telescope. And some of them look like things you would see in nature on Earth, but they're all pictures of the night sky, nebula and galaxies and, um, and stars and... Um, they're just beautiful. And again, my encouragement as we sing, as we look at these pictures of the night sky, and next time you look at the night sky, who am I that you are mindful of me? So God, we thank you that even though we are so small, you love each and every one of us. God, I pray that next time we look up at the stars at night, that we would just be wowed by how huge you are, how great you are, how powerful you are, and that we would have the proper perspective, that we'd be humbled in a good way and realize you are so much more powerful and so much more wise than we are to ordain all this. Thank you for loving us in spite of our smallness. Help us respond appropriately, each of us, to you now. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.